Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we're going to have a conversation about whether Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, should be disqualified from seeking that office here in Michigan again in the 2024 Republican primary. There is a court case that says his participation in the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol does disqualify him. We're going to hear from a multitude of voices about whether that's true. And we'll start with Mark Brewer, an attorney who is representing the folks who say Donald Trump doesn't belong on the ballot in Michigan. Mark is the person who I would uh, define as the, the, the leading expert. I mean, I don't know a lot of folks who know as much uh, as he does about how elections are supposed to work in our state. Mark, uh, it's great to have you back here on Detroit Today. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. That was a very kind compliment. Yes. Uh, I, I, I was saying to our producers yesterday that if I was ever uh, in in court uh, on an election law case, the lawyer I would least like to see uh, across uh, the aisle would be you. <laughs> so, Thank you, Stephen. Uh, so, so do this. Uh, make the case. Why do you believe the Secretary of State should prevent Donald Trump from appearing on the ballot in 2024? Well, I think it's very straightforward. In the end, this is about the rule of law, right? That every person in this country, whether they're a former president or not, is subject to the same standard. Um, You know, you've got to meet certain qualifications to be president. Certain age, you've got to be a citizen. You can't have served before. I mean, if Barack Obama showed up and said, I want to run for president again, we'd say, no, you can't, because that violates the Constitution. And that is exactly what we're saying here. Uh, You mentioned in your opening remarks that this provision that we're enforcing has been rarely enforced. I say, thank God that we have never had people like Donald Trump who behaved in the way that he did trying to overturn a lawful Democratic election back in 2020 and into 2021. But this clause in the Constitution is there just for that purpose. I mean, there's no question that he meets all the requirements of this clause. He took an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States Mm -hmm. when he became president. And then beginning clearly on election night, if not before, and continuing through uh, the rebellion, the insurrection that took over the Capitol on January 6th, he engaged in a plot to overturn a Democratic election. Now, look, under this clause, you don't, it doesn't have to be a military plot. You don't have to be convicted. Um, he certainly was behind the scenes planning all of this. He incited people to attack the Capitol. He tried to lead people to the Capitol, Stephen, only to be restrained by the Secret Service. But for that, he would have been there leading that mob as they took over the Capitol. And it was a particularly important day, right? That was the day they were literally counting the electoral votes and certifying the election. They were seeking to overturn the election results and keep Donald Trump in office, which was the whole purpose of his plot. So I think it's very clear that, you know, he violated this Section 3 of the 14th Amendment and is not qualified uh, to be on the ballot. Um, Again, we disqualify people from the ballot for all kinds of reasons all the time. Mm -hmm. This is a section of the Constitution. It should be applied to everybody, regardless of who you are. Uh-huh. So, so you believe that the Secretary of the of State has the power to unilaterally determine that uh, a candidate is ineligible based on the Fourteenth Amendment? Uh, why? Why do you think that is true? Well, actually, that's not an issue in our case. What triggered our case was her declaration that, that she was not, going to put him on, yeah. and that she didn't have the authority to do that, uh-huh. uh, and so. 
We accept that. We're not going to fight over that in our case. But certainly a court has the authority to declare that he violated the insurrection clause. We call it the insurrection clause, by the way. Um, and order her not to put him on the ballot. There's no dispute that a court has that authority. So we're getting beyond this procedural question about her authority. A court can clearly declare that he's ineligible. Yeah. So, so uh, of course, there are the legal context of this and the constitutional context of it, but the practical implications of it are kind of important too, aren't they? The, the idea that as voters, we should be able to have as broad a slate of choices as possible on the 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 ballot and that there should be there should be only the rarest i guess instances where somebody is told you cannot be on the ballot uh, how would you balance those two things in in this case well the people have made those choices um the 14th amendment to the constitution was ratified by the states by the of this by country the right by the people uh, and, you know, the other laws that we pass in regards to who's eligible on the ballot are all passed by the people's representatives. The other qualifications are in the Constitution as well. You know, the age you have to be, et cetera, et cetera. Look, I'd love Barack Obama to run for president again, but he can't because we have made these rules that have to apply to everybody. Donald Trump has violated this rule that says not only can he not run for president, but he can never run or serve in public office again. That's how serious it is to engage in an insurrection to try to overthrow the government of the United States. Do you think we have to wait for the adjudication of the likely cases that uh, are taking place around what happened on January 6th to determine the former president's role? I mean, there there is all this narrative out there about what he was doing on that day and uh, how connected he was with the people who went to the Capitol. But there isn't anything proven in a in a court that says hey he was part of this and therefore he violates this section of the 14th amendment that's what we're asking for we want a chance to have a hearing with witnesses to go through the evidence that he engaged in an insurrection rebellion which i briefly described at the opening of your program there's a lot more detail i mean we filed a 70 page complaint which detailed you know how members of the congress um described it as an insurrection. I mean, there's so much evidence out there, Stephen. We want to get that in the record in front of a court so that uh, the judge here in Michigan will be able to say that. There are similar proceedings going on in other uh, states. Now, to the extent you ask, does he have to be criminally convicted or anything? No, that's not a requirement. The case law under this provision is very clear. A criminal conviction is not a precondition. This is a condition of running for office and of holding office. And again, we want a court to look at the evidence and make a ruling and direct the secretary's date, keep him off the ballot. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Mark Brewer. He is a partner and attorney at the Goodman Acker Law Firm. He represents plaintiffs in LeBrant v. Benson, a case that is seeking to disqualify former president of the United States, Donald Trump, from appearing on the presidential primary ballot here in Michigan in 2024. Uh, the case says that Trump is guilty of violating the disqualification clause, the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, that says that anyone who has previously taken an oath of public 
office can't seek public office in the future if they have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. The case says that uh, Donald Trump's behavior uh, in the lead up to and during the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol uh, are in violation of that uh, mem- that part of the 14th Amendment. Uh, a little later in the show, we're going to talk with someone who believes Donald Trump is not in violation uh, of that part of the 14th Amendment. And we're going to have a law professor here to kind of put all of this in a uh, broader context uh, that, that is uh, not about one side or the other. We also want to hear from you, though, during the conversation. What do you think of the idea of disqualifying Donald Trump from the ballot here in Michigan. Should that happen? Why or why not? Is it uh, ever appropriate to kick people off the ballot and deny voters the choice uh, of of selecting them in our elections? And what do you think the factors should be to determine that? Of course, this is something that has happened uh, in the past for other reasons. If you think back to the gubernatorial election that we just got through in uh, 2020 in 2022 uh, there were a number of republican hopefuls in that contest that ended up being disqualified from the ballot because uh, of the way they got signatures to get on the ballot it was uh, an invalid process that they used for that so it's not a novel idea, but it is something that happens rarely, should it happen to the former president of the United States. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to uh, Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation uh, that way. Again, 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter. Uh, Let's start today with uh, Kyle in Ypsilanti. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Hey. Yeah, I, you know, I think Trump is a total abomination to our political process, but I really don't think he should be disqualified from the Michigan ballot. I want to see us beat him a different way. And chiefly because I'm a little unclear as to the exact or explicit criteria for what constitutes an insurrection. Hmm versus a riot. I mean, if you think to the Detroit uprising, the, the way we talk about that versus a riot versus an uprising is very important. And I just sort of think like, why doesn't Jack Smith bring him up on sedition charges the same way he <laughs> did with the Proud Boys? Yeah. And if he's not willing to do that, then in my mind that the criteria is not made explicit enough for me yeah. to, to say disqualified. Kyle, it's a great point. And and I think that distinction between a riot or uh, some other disturbance and an insurrection is is important. And there is a a, a legal standard, I think, for for determining that. Jack Smith is one of the people uh, uh, in the federal judiciary who is uh, trying to figure out uh, whether uh, Donald Trump's behavior ro- rose to that level, and and he has prosecuted some other folks for that. Uh, Mark, wh- why shouldn't that distinction uh, matter more here? Well, um, I respect the, the caller's views. The whole idea that he could, that President Trump could be convicted of seditious conspiracy, that's a criminal charge, which means you got to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very different. This is not about throwing him in pri- throwing Trump in prison or fining him or punishing him in a criminal fashion, this is saying 
you're not qualified to run for office. And even though the words uh, insurrection and rebellion may sound militaristic, mm-hmm. the interpretation that's been given them is that you're trying to overturn the government. Um, frankly, uh, in our view, everything that Trump started doing on election night going forward, which culminated in the attack on the Capitol on the 6th, was an insurrection or rebellion. I mean, look, he was out there screaming about fraud when there were case after case which said there was no fraud. He orchestrated this effort to try to get Pence to violate the law and say, I'm going to take over and reject these electoral votes. There are all these schemes, the fake electors um, here in Michigan and elsewhere, all these schemes that he concocted one after another after another to overturn the election results so he could remain president. What we saw on January 6th was just the final act in all of that, which again, he incited. He told those folks, in so many words, go to the Capitol. So we're going down the street. We're going down the street, go to the Capitol. And we saw what happened. They interrupted the official proceeding. It wasn't just any day in Congress. It was the day they were certifying the vote and they stopped it and they took over the Congress for a brief period of time. So all of that conduct there again again doesn't have to be militaristic it doesn't have to be successful even though they temporarily were successful that is covered by this clause we cannot tolerate that kind of activity in a democracy i mean if jefferson davis after the civil war had said you know i want to be the next president of the united states uh, people would have been appalled that's the kind of thing this clause is intended to do you cannot have people who don't believe in the democratic process who try to overturn an election say, I want to be a candidate for public office, and I want to be elected. And, and we should be clear that this, uh, this provision of the 14th Amendment, of course, uh, grows out of uh, the, the aftermath of the Civil War, as the amendment itself does. Uh, and it was directed toward the fears that former Confederates who had uh, you know, participated in the Civil War on the other side might decide that they would run for Congress or run for president. And they, and they did, Stephen. And, and worse than that, they they started running for office again or continued to hold office in the South, you know, continuing, uh, the, you know, basically the slave regime that had existed before, just in a different name. And so the Congress made a decision, ratified by the American people, that we're not going to tolerate people in office who don't believe in democracy, who don't believe in the process. And so... Thousands of Confederates were barred from holding office. Several were thrown out of Congress and other offices under this clause. That's the way it should be. We've got to defend the bedrock belief in democracy. If you don't believe in democracy and you're not willing to abide by a legitimate election, you should not be serving in office. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation uh, about the disqualification clause of the 14th Amendment and whether it applies to former President Donald Trump. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Now to better understand some arguments against using the 14th Amendment to disqualify Trump, I'm joined by David Orentlicker. He's a law professor at UNLV, and he recently wrote an opinion piece for CNN titled, Why the 14th Amendment Shouldn't Disqualify Trump. Uh, David, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So uh, th- there are many cases uh, being filed around the nation that echo the strategy here in Michigan to say that uh, Donald Trump has violated the 14th Amendment and shouldn't appear on the ballot. Tell me why you disagree with that argument. Sure. I do think, as the advocates for this um, application of the 14th Amendment, that Donald Trump is manifestly unfit to serve as president or any other elected office in this country. But I am troubled by the way they want to use the 14th Amendment to keep Trump off the ballot. As, as we've heard quite rightly, the this dis, so-called disqualification qualification clause in the 14th Amendment was adopted in the wake of the Civil War and the effort by Southern states to send officials from the Confederacy back to Congress, and, and that wasn't appropriate. But when we look at how the people who have filed these lawsuits and have made this argument, whether they're academics or lawyers, litigating lawyers or judges, the definition they use for insurrection would apply to a lot in a lot of situations where we wouldn't want it to apply. So let me tell you the there's a case in Colorado, and the the definition they want to use for insurrection is not they want to go as Mr. Brewer and others want to do is go beyond waging a civil war, a rebellion, a secession. They uh, want, so here's a common definition, an assemblage of persons who use force acting with the purpose to oppose the continuing authority of the United States Constitution. Mm -hmm. And that's a very broad definition. I'll give you some examples. Um, But I use that because this is the argument that scholars have made, leading scholars that uh, have appears in briefs, the one in Colorado, the Colorado case, and it was used by a New Mexico trial court to, to disqualify county commissioner because of the that commissioner's role in the January 6th attack. So this, if you use this definition, it would apply to Trump, but, and others who participated in the January 6th violence, mm-hmm. but also to those who use force to resist governmental authority for any reason. For example, if you read the academic analyses, um, what they will acknowledge is that abolitionists who tried to prevent fugitive slaves from being returned to their owners in the years before slaves were emancipated would qualify as insurrectionists. Or if you go to the New Mexico trial court decision, they drew, they cited as an authority for applying this insurrection clause to an 1894 criminal case. And that criminal case involved the prosecution of labor activists, including labor leader Eugene Debs, for their participation in a nationwide strike of railroad workers. Presumably as well, the crude, this definition of an insurrection that the advocates want to use would have applied to those who protested our country's involvement in the Vietnam War by using force of any kind to disrupt the military draft, as was done. 
Um, so, so, so I think that's very troubling. We have to think about how this, whatever yeah. definition we use, will be applied so, in other settings, and what it will be applied could be applied is people who oppose unjust laws. Yeah, and so, people, elected officials, who support those people who are opposing unjust laws. I don't. Not so, only so don't, should clear, we disqualify people who oppose unjust laws, those are people we should be electing into office who oppose unjust laws. So, 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 so to be clear, you're not, you're not arguing, for instance, that under the working definition and under the, the, the precedent and case law for the interpretation of Section 3 of uh, the, the 14th Amendment, you're not arguing that Donald Trump doesn't meet those, those standards. You're arguing that if we indulge those standards that we would kick open a door or maybe could kick open a door that would see it enforced in in instances in which uh, we would not we would not like to see it uh, enforced is that is that a fair characterization well in general but let me make one uh, there's one part that that I do need to okay to make clear um, this definition of insurrection has not been developed as the definition for the 14th Amendment. Only one court has used it, mm -hmm. this New Mexico State Trial Court. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no Supreme Court or other federal court application of, or interpretation of insurrection in terms of the 14th Amendment. These other uses of insurrection are... In other in settings, other, in, in other contexts, applying criminal sure. laws. Yeah. So my argument is we shouldn't take these definitions of insurrection for other laws and and incorporate it into the Fourteenth Amendment. When when the framers of the Fourteenth Amendment used the word insurrection, I don't think they meant what how insurrection. What is being used. And even if they did, we shouldn't use that definition because this is a diff we're just we're talking about disqualifying people from running for office, denying them a fundamental right to run and denying their supporters a fundamental right to vote for them. So we need to make sure the definition we use for insurrection here is the right definition. Right. And and an important part of that is the, the clause says you get disqualified for participating in rebellion or insurrection. Uh -huh. Now, normally when you use two words like that together in a, in a statute or certainly in the Constitution, the terms have similar meanings. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't want to, rebellion is a very narrow, has a very narrow meaning. And if you give insurrection a very broad meaning, which the advocates want to do, it's just not what you would expect. What's the point of saying rebellion if if you have this very broad definition of insurrection, it swallows up rebellion and everything else. We would want to have a, a meaning of insurrection that's parallel to the, to the meaning of rebellion to, so to make this you, a sensible provision. So let me ask you this question. Uh, in the previous segment when we were talking uh, with, uh, with someone who, who was – advocating for the application of uh, this t disqualification in this in this case we were talking about the ongoing uh, prosecutions uh, in the wake of January 6th yeah. so if Donald Trump 
were convicted uh, as part of that, and of course that's hypothetical, uh, would, would you think that would then qualify him for uh, disqualification under the 14th Amendment? Would that make uh, the, the interpretation of rebellion or insurrection clear enough uh, in your eyes? So um, if you say if he's convicted of which charges now? Well, if he's convicted of, of insurrection. I mean, if he's, in, if he's convicted as part okay, of Okay, so if inquiry. somebody brings a criminal prosecution. Sure. Yeah, he hasn't been, right? None of his prosecutions. Yeah, but if Jack um, Smith decides, hey. Uh, but Donald let's say Trump Jack Smith brings charges. Right. Yes. Yeah. Would that I mean, I think change one of the, I think it's telling that they haven't brought those criminal charges, right? Um, but, you know, I think that's certainly the right step now is if if you want to address Tr Donald Trump's participation in January 6th, the two clear paths to do that and appropriate paths I've, I think we should use are criminal prosecutions and impeachment. Right. Those were the and impeachment was tried unsuccessfully, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, but but I think those are the two. And now once you see what evidence is developed in the criminal trial, then you have to you still have to get back to what is your definition of insurrection for the 14th Amendment. Can you come up with, you know, I've talked to people who want to use the 14th Amendment. And when I look at their definitions of insurrection for the 14th Amendment, they sweep too broadly and, and we can't have a definition that as I say, sweeps in people who oppose unjust laws. That yeah. I think would be very troubling. Yeah, and would yeah. be used, and you, you can be sure would be used in, in ways that we that's would what maybe be uncomfortable. That's with, what sure. we've seen time and time again when we adopt laws that have very broad language. They're misused and often used more times wrongly than rightly. Yeah. I'm talking with David Orenlicker. He's a law professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and a constitutional law expert. We're talking about the effort here in Michigan and some other states to disqualify former President Donald Trump from running for president next year because of his participation in the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Give us a call. Let us know if you think Donald Trump should be on the ballot next year. Do you think his participation in January 6th was sufficient to disqualify him under this clause of the 14th Amendment? Do you think that we should be disqualifying more people, perhaps, from the ballot uh, for uh, for missteps, for things that they've uh, done in their past? Or do you think that we should have a, a pretty liberal interpretation of uh, who should be able to seek public office? Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Layla in Detroit. Layla, what's on your mind? Hi. Uh, thank you so much for this conversation. Um I, I'm in a bind, and I'm glad that you guys are um, approaching this from a legal perspective, because on the one hand, I wonder 
how uh, Trump can even run for presidency, given his internal consistency, inconsistency. <laughs> um, how can you, on the one hand, say that the elections are fraudulent and the system is broken and then and then also run for office um, of the president, especially. And then but on the other hand, if we disqualify him, then um, we're sort of proving his point. So at the end of the day, um, the law should prevail. And uh, I really appreciate this conversation. So so, Layla, uh, I'll put the question to you. Do you do you think the the participation that the former president indulged in January 6th should should mean he can't run for office again. I think it rises to the occasion. I really do. I think it satisfies the conditions. I'm not a law professor. Hmm. I'm an ethics professor. Okay. Um, um, but I really do think that it rises to the occasion and it satisfies um, both in terms of the the law, even though I shouldn't say that I'm not an expert, but ethically, um, you know, someone who engages uh, in this activity, I don't know how we could possibly trust him again that he wouldn't do the same. No. Um, and then and then his internal consist- inconsistency. I mean, I anyone who uh, speaks out of both sides of their mouth, yeah, I'm I not think, sure. <laughs> I think a lot of people find that troubling about the, the, the former the former president. Uh, Layla, I really appreciate uh, you calling and, and sharing that perspective. Um, I want to go next to Jerry in Detroit. Jerry, what's on your mind? Hello. Hello, Stephen and guest. Um, um, there seems to be a very severe denial by your guests in terms of um, as far as what to call it. What He seems to be denying that what happened at the Capitol on January 6, 2021 was indeed an insurrection. Well, what else would you call an attempt to overturn a presidential election by brute force and beating Capitol beating the crap out of Capitol Police with flagpoles, hockey sticks, and baseball bats sure. and spraying bear mace in their face besides an insurrection. Yeah. Jerry, I, it's a great question. I'm not sure that's the argument that uh, Professor Orenlicker is making, but I'm going to give him a chance to, to answer you directly. Uh, go ahead. Yes, um, I think you can make a very good case that that was an insurrection. The question is, how do you net, how do you the question we're talking the other question is how we define insurrection for purposes of the 14th amendment so i understand it's i'm sympathetic to the goal of trying to prevent donald trump from running because of his egregious conduct but when i look at the definitions that people want to in, in, implant for insurrection for the 14th Amendment, they would not only disqualify Donald Trump, they would disqualify a lot of other people who shouldn't be disqualified. Yeah. I, so what I'm ask, saying is, if you're going to propose that we use the 14th Amendment and disqualify Donald Trump, you have to have a definition of insurrection that works for this case but also works for other cases. Other and and I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, David Ornlicker, it was really great to have you here uh, to share your understanding of this issue and your perspective. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. My pleasure. Thanks for including me. 
When we come back, we're going to continue our look at these arguments for and against disqualifying Donald Trump from the Michigan ballot next year. Continue to take your calls and we'll get to some social comments as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Lots of Twitter comments rolling in about whether Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, should be able to seek the office again here in Michigan next year. Big Neo says the problem is knowing who gets to decide whether Trump is off the ballot. Is it one person? Is it a court? Do the citizens of the state get to vote on it? Since this has happened so rarely, no one knows for sure where the final say should come from. Uh, Eldritch on Twitter says people can be denied being put on the ballot as long as they have a legally justified reason. Then the person can sue to appeal in a court due to the fake elector scheme, which would have produced faulty results for the state. Uh, Tobias on Twitter says, Twice impeached, former President Trump called for the termination of the Constitution in order to overturn the 2020 election and reinstate himself to power. He should not be allowed to hold any office in the future. Uh, Michael on Twitter says, while I understand the guest not liking a more broad definition of insurrection, he was talking about the professor from UNLV we were just having a conversation with. He says, if a person tries to halt the democratic process at the federal level, that's clear to me. It's attempted insurrection. This is uh, Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, and we are talking about the current efforts to disqualify Donald Trump from the ballot here in Michigan in the 2024 Republican presidential primary. Uh, we have been talking about uh, the side that says he shouldn't be on the ballot. And then we heard from someone who disagrees with that. Uh, I want to welcome another voice to the conversation now. Richard Broughton is a law professor at the University of Detroit Mercy and an expert in American politics and institutions and the intersections of politics and constitutionalism and criminal justice. Uh, Richard, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. We also still have Mark Brewer here with us. He's a partner and attorney at the Goodman Acker Law Firm, and he represents the plaintiffs in the case that seeks to disqualify uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Richard, I, I want to start with you here and have you talk about the ramifications for democracy that uh, I think are swirling around in the background of this of this conversation. Uh, how serious is it to think about disqualifying a candidate who certainly could go out and get enough signatures to be on the ballot and might actually win the election as as president trump did here in the general election in michigan in 2016 what does that mean for democracy when that happens yeah i mean there are obviously serious implications for democracy anytime you tell uh, someone they can't run for an office right so we sort of operate from the presumption that uh, anyone who wants to run for office can run for office, and then we let the voters decide. Um, but Mr. Brewer was talking about this earlier, and it's absolutely true. There are lots of qualification provisions uh, across state and federal law uh, for holding public office. So with the presidency, for example, you have to be a certain age. You have to be 35 years old. You have to be a natural-born citizen. You can't have previously served two terms as president, uh, as Mr. Brewer was discussing earlier. So... 
Um, so, yes, there are implications whenever you keep someone off the ballot, but we also have qualification provisions for a reason, and uh, you know, presumably those have to be enforced. Now, with respect to this particular um, provision of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, um, there's an additional sort of layer of um, you know, inquiry in which we have to engage with regard to democratic values. On the one hand, obviously, um, there's the there's sort of the argument that keeping Trump off the ballot would be anti-democratic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that he could conceivably get enough votes to 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 be president, uh, and so we should let the voters decide. This is sort of the ultimate argument, and I'm sure it's one of the arguments that the the, the Trump team will run with in this litigation. Uh, is um, you know just let the voters decide. The other side to that, though. Um, sort of comes from the kind of original theory of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which is uh, sometimes a person can engage in conduct that is so contrary to democratic values that allowing them to continue to serve in public office would be contrary to our democratic values, right? And so that's the idea behind Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, that if you have taken an oath to support the Constitution and then you have betrayed that oath, um, you shouldn't be allowed to serve in public. You don't office get again. a second bite. At exactly. That apple. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, the history with you as well, Richard, and where this comes from. Of course, it comes out of uh, the post-Civil War era, uh, when, when, of course, the Fourteenth Amendment was was ratified. Um, how how similar do you think the questions that we're, I guess, grappling with in this case are? to what they were dealing with then. I mean, that was not just a, a, a theoretical insurrection. I mean, it was a war that went on for, for four years. Um, is this the same thing? Well, we're not talking about a civil war here, right? But, but, but I think to, um, to the people who wrote the 14th Amendment, and, and even to, uh, to, to many people in America today, they're not that different. What we're talking about is... Um, can this individual or individual similarly situated be entrusted with power when they have already, the argument goes, um, betrayed their oath to support the Constitution, mm-hmm. right? So in that sense, the kinds of questions that the framers of the 14th Amendment were dealing with and the questions that we're dealing with today are not that dissimilar. Um, you know, the obviously there are two distinct sort of lines of um, you know, problems that we're dealing with uh, with respect to this litigation. One are the kind of interpretive problems. And so one of those interpretive problems might be similar to the question that you asked, and that is, you know, was this a provision that was really meant to just deal with the old Confederates, right? And does it really have any application to us today? Um, you know, I, I I think a lot of us would say yes, uh, right? The, the language isn't limited to, uh, you know, the mid-19th century. Uh, you know, insurrections can happen uh, today, just as they did back then, right? Mm-hmm. So, 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 I, I think there's a pretty strong argument that yes, all this language still applies to us today. But that's just one uh, of the interpretive questions. Uh, there are many others, and and the the, the courts that are dealing with this litigation are going to have to have to grapple with those very difficult interpretive questions. And then, of course, there's the practical questions or yeah. the political questions, which arise from um, our sensibilities about democratic values. Yeah. Uh, Mark Brewer, I want to come back to you and, and have you respond to something specific that Professor Professor Ornlicker was talking about. This this idea that if you allow a disqualification in this case, 
it, it would or could apply uh, in the future to lots of ki- of uh, constitutionally protected uh, pushback against the government. I thought the the the, the best example he he raised was. Uh, the protests against the Vietnam War, which could have been considered, I suppose, insurrectionist. Uh, they were uh, trying to stop uh, the, the the government from doing what it was doing. Why shouldn't we be fearful of that? I mean, the, the, this kind of idea of unintended consequences of the application of something like this in a, in a case like this. Well, two responses, Stephen. <clears throat> First of all, um, that's what courts are for, right? Courts are there to evaluate individual factual circumstances. And in our case, we use a much different definition than what the professor was rightly concerned about. I don't disagree with his concerns. What we have said, and what I want to prove, said the effort to overthrow the election starting on election day through the insurrection event on the 6th, that constituted a rebellion. That constituted using unlawful means to overturn the government. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that will never occur again. I mean, Trump was in a unique position to do the things he was able to do. And under our theory and these facts, I don't see the kind of groups and persons that the professor described as being subject to disqualification. This is such an... They're not, they're not elected officials in many cases, right? Right, and they didn't take an oath. Up, you know, They have to take an oath previously uh, in order to be disqualified. But... Thankfully, what happened here was unique in American history and hopefully will never happen again. But I think we need to send a message as well that if this doesn't disqualify you, what does? What does disqualify you? I mean, it renders the 14th Amendment, Section 3, meaningless. If it can't be enforced against Trump, who would be disqualified under it? Yeah. Uh, Richard, I also want to talk about the fact that these are, of course, state actions because it's states that manage the elections for federal office. Uh, what happens if Michigan and some other states say, well, Trump can't be on the ballot here, but other states say, well, we don't have a problem with it. We don't think he's disqualified. Does that present a problem for democracy or our politics? So, uh, yes, potentially it does. Um, it, it, it would seem sort of incongruous, right, to have a scenario in which a candidate for a national office, right, the only person who holds a, uh, an office for which there is a, a, a nationwide election, mm-hmm. right, even though the elections are done state by state, right, this is a person who's running for a national office and that office is on the ballot in, in every jurisdiction. It would seem weird uh, to allow some states to have that person on the ballot and and not others, um, that that's sort of the practical effect of this individual state by state litigation. Mm-hmm. But I I would make the following observation: maybe there's a lot of value in having this litigation uh, go forward right now, because one of the possibilities at the end of all this is that the Supreme Court would get involved. And so one argument to be made here— And I lend think, some clarity exactly. to this section of the 14th Amendment. Exactly. Um, you wouldn't be able to get the issue in front of the Supreme Court unless you had lower court litigation to begin with, right? right? And so, so there's an argument to be made here that there's, there's so much doubt with respect to Trump's eligibility to serve again. Let's adjudicate that. Let's get that question put before courts— uh, so that we can create a, sort of an avenue or a mechanism to get that in front of the one court in the United States 
that could make the determination and have their determination apply to every jurisdiction uh, throughout the country, and that would be the Supreme Court. Now, right. now that's you know that's speculation, right? We don't know if the Supreme Court would want any part of this this issue, <laughs> right? But this but I court think, might exactly <laughs> this particular court exactly right. But but I think you could argue that that is uh, th- that in in one sense at least there's value to this litigation. Um, by at least providing a mechanism by which the Supreme Court could ultimately make the determination. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Richard, I'm going to put you a little bit on the hot seat. What do you think the courts will do with this here in Michigan uh, or in other states? Yeah, I I would love to give you a really great, straightforward <laughs> answer to that, Stephen, and, and and say I absolutely know exactly what they're going to do. I, I I don't. It's a really complicated uh, issue, and I and I respect uh, Mr. Brewer's uh, uh, work on this and and the amount of research and. Uh, and and legal uh, uh, you know acumen that, that he brings to, to to the issue, but it's a really complicated question. I mean, there's there's a lot of complicated uh, legal uh, interpretive questions here. You know, do, does the provision even apply to a former president? Right. I mean, that's there's there's an open question about that. Uh, what does it mean to engage in an insurrection? Mm-hmm. Right. And then one of the things that we haven't sort of discussed yet is the the alternative provision in Section Three. So one of the provisions says that you can't engage in an insurrection or rebellion, but the other provision says Did you, stop you can't one? give aid and comfort right. or aid or comfort to the enemies of the Constitution, right. right? That's actually an alternative theory of disqualification under Section 3. So what does that mean? Who's an enemy of the Constitution, right? Uh, and then maybe, you know, one of the most uh, uh, highly contested issues here, um, although one that we sort of avoid with litigation, uh, is the question of self-execution. Is Section 3 of the 14th Amendment self-executing, right. right, so that any officer who has the ability to judge qualifications of candidates could simply apply it or enforce it, right? Or does it take an, an act of Congress, an act of, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so, and which brings us to, you know, a discussion about something called Griffin's case, right, <laughs> right. from 1869, which is going to be a hotly contested issue. So, uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's a really complicated question, and uh, courts have their work cut out for them. Yeah. Okay, Richard Broughton and Mark Brewer, great to have both of you here to talk about this really interesting issue. Maybe it'll end up in the Supreme Court before the election. We'll see. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to continue our look at the remaking of I-375. We're going to talk with a number of stakeholders in that area. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. And podcast editing is by David Lyons. Our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit. And you can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.